big a Star Wars fan are you? What did you feel the first time when you saw the Millennium Falcon jump into hyperspace in Episode 4, A New Hope? And do you still feel the same way when you see it again today? Are you 50 years old plus and still have a lightsaber on your bookshelf? What is the future of mechanical prosthetics in the medical industry? You think about the difference between cyborgs such as Darth Vader and robots such as R2-D2 and C-3PO. And finally, how do you build the Death Star? More importantly, how does the Death Star move? And finally, how does the Death Star generate enough power to create a beam of energy that can destroy a planet? I hope you will join me in this five-part exploration on the science of Star Wars with Dr. Ben Lachlan. Ben Lachlan is a healthcare executive, and in addition to his medical expertise, he is also a degreed astrophysicist, so we can get to the truth behind some of the most exciting aspects of Star Wars. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to a special five-part podcast series on greetings and felicitations. In this series, Ben and I are going to have a lot of fun talking about some of the science of Star Wars. We're going to explore scenes from each one of the original three episodes that help illustrate some of these points and talk about where science may take us in the future. It's one of the most fun series that I've done, and I know you will enjoy it. This special series on greetings and felicitations, The Science of Star Wars, is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this concluding episode five, we look at issues around the Death Star. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Dr. Ben Lockwin for our fifth and final episode in our five-part exploration of The Science of Star Wars. Today, we're going to end with a delicious offering, which is the Death Star itself. So, Ben, first of all, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. Can't wait to talk Death Star. Oh, and (laughs) I couldn't have put it better myself. (laughs) So, uh, the scene, Ben, is, if we can set the stage a little bit, is when the Death Star, Peter Cushing as Grand Toff Moth, says, you may fire when ready. And they initiate the sequence that leads to the hyper weapon, which fires a massive bolt of energy and literally destroys the home planet of Princess, Princess Leia Alderaan. So uh, if we could maybe start with, um, is such a mm-hmm. weapon on a spaceship, and the Death Star is a spaceship, uh, feasible? I would say, let me go into some of the specifics. The issue with the beam weapon on the Death Star is that, first of all, it would need an extraordinary amount of power to develop an electromagnetic beam of sufficient power to destroy a planet. So where this energy source comes from is not clear. There's obviously a lot of energetic-looking stuff in the core that we see later. Um, Well, we see, I guess, at the end of A New Hope with the uh, torpedo blast at the end through the trenches, and then in Return of the Jedi when they get towards the core of the second Death Star. But 
it's not really clear where enough power to destroy a planet is coming from. And secondly, if the Death Star is freely floating in space, using the beam would be no different from powering a planetary-scale rocket thruster. So if you think about the analogy of a garden hose, you turn on a garden hose, and unless you've got something capping the end, it's going to flop all over the place because the blast of water acts as propulsion. So as soon as the Death Star fires this planet-destroying beam, the Death Star would be shot off in the direction opposite from where it fired the beam, which is then back to the acceleration problem. So at a rate of acceleration where the G-forces would kill everyone and destroy the Death Star. So there's no kinetic free lunch. And to stay where it is to fire this beam, it again would have to fire an equal and opposite beam precisely um, away from where the, the planet destroyer is is heading towards. Otherwise, it's going to move its position. So we definitely didn't see that happen. So I would say for a lot of reasons, the planet-destroying blast isn't happening. Well, uh, if we can't have a planet-destroying blast, Ben, could we step back and consider whether or not a Death Star or a spaceship of this size could be constructed uh, outside of a planet's atmosphere? Yeah, I think there's nothing that really prohibits it. If you were to say, let's build something spherical like a small moon. Uh, First, you're going to run into the materials problem. How do you get enough material to build this thing? Uh, The supply chain becomes quite a problem. But it's basically a space station in the form of a planet or a moon. And they put a weapons platform in the core. Okay. Um, It's hard to see how it would move from place to place without any visible propulsion system. Um, I mean, we could argue it it has some beam of invisible wavelength to slowly move itself around, but that's not immediately visible in the movies. Um, Or what you could do is place it in uh, particular stable spots in orbit or in a star system. And so a recent example of how this works is we've just recently launched the James Webb Space Telescope in... uh, early 2022. And this thing is sitting in what's called a Lagrangian point in Earth's orbit, about a million miles away. And a Lagrange point is very interesting. It's a spot in three-dimensional space where local gravity makes a stable well where this telescope is going to sit and it's going to maintain its spatial relationship with Earth. So, So the telescope's in Lagrange point two, to be exact. And things that are put in Lagrangian points tend to stay there. So it'll keep this relative relationship with Earth as we go in our orbit around the sun. And these points in space can be used by spacecraft to reduce fuel consumption and stay in position. Uh, So sure, you could assemble some kind of giant satellite space station in one of these points. The material would tend to stay there. And I guess, you know, if you could build this thing massive enough it would generate its own gravity just like a small moon uh, or a moon or a planet does. And so you would get away from this, this other problem that, that exists in almost every sci-fi movie and show, which is how do you get artificial gravity out in space when everything essentially is, is a microgravity environment where uh, people tend to float around along with objects? 
Ben, you touched on the uh, motion movement or, or how the Death Star might move from planet to planet. Could you uh, say a few words on uh, how that might even be possible? And would it tie back into some of the navigational discussions we've had in earlier podcasts? Yeah, I, w- I would imagine it has so much mass, it would take a long time for the Death Star to get up to any appreciable speed. Like we talked about before with uh, in episode one with the Millennium Falcon trying to achieve any sort of reasonable speed to make space travel possible. And, and then you imagine something on the scale of a small moon trying to accelerate to get up to a reasonable speed for, for space travel would be even more difficult. But... Uh, you know, some of the ideas that are uh, in use to some degree and, and, and sometimes just in theory, uh, propulsion systems like solar sails, where you basically have this gigantic, um, oftentimes like a metallic surface, which would, would fan open in space, be aimed perpendicularly to the star in that star system, and the photon push, what's called the solar wind that comes off of that star, the stellar wind, pushes basically these, these photons all add up, their cumulative momentum adds up and starts to accelerate the craft away from the star. It's kind of hard to uh, steer unless you have secondary propulsion and you can have rockets guiding you in addition, but that's one of the more practical means by which uh, people have posited that interstellar travel may be possible over really long periods of time, by the way. But the idea of collecting solar energy, stellar energy, uh, and using that to power the craft. So you would have to have some sort of uh, thrusters to move the Death Star around um, unless there's some as yet unknown pioneer technology, like potentially a, a gravitational well, if you could somehow warp the space in front of where the Death Star would go, and then it would fall, it would continuously fall into a gravity well ahead of it and accelerate forward. But uh, we don't really have any technology like that at the moment, and it's not clear where it would come from. Well, Ben, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I wanted to thank you for uh, you taking the time to sit down and uh, have some fun and explore these questions. And uh, all I can say is we're going to have to do this again. (laughs) Agreed. That was fun, Tom. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Science of Star Wars in the Greetings and Felicitations podcast. As I said, this is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. If you have a topic that you would like to explore over a five-part podcast series, it can be anything from history to science to the movies or anything else because you're only limited by your imagination. If so, please contact me and let's discuss having a five-part podcast series for you or your business on the Compliance Podcast Network, the only network dedicated to business risk, business ethics, compliance, and risk management. This is Tom Fox. I'm the founder of the Compliance Podcast Network. If you've ever wanted to start your own podcast, there's no better time than now. Please give me a call or shoot me an email at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you've enjoyed 
this special presentation. <laughs>